You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 119. Hello again, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, your guide on this journey into realms of fantasy and wonder. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction and an update on my life and my writing. So, let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the conclusion of my story, The Muse. In Part 3, Will and Callie went to Will's studio apartment to spend the night. They hoped it would be a safe place to hide from the street wizard Trajan, who is after an icon of St. Mirai that Callie stole back from him on behalf of the church. Callie needs to keep the icon away from Trajan until after midnight tomorrow night, or else Trajan could deface it in a ritual to summon a powerful Daedra. Callie and Will were able to get a solid night's sleep, but their partnership suffered some strain along the way. Callie tried to play on Will's obvious attraction to her, offering him sex as a way to ensure his continued cooperation, but she hadn't been counting on Will's conservative religious upbringing, and the effort backfired badly, making him anxious and distrustful. He was even more weirded out by Callie's eyes, which changed colors without warning, not to mention the strange glowing pink ball of light which had saved them from a blast of machine gun fire as they escaped Trajan's goons. The next morning, Callie regained Will's trust by opening up about her past. Her father, apparently, had been the result of a sexual liaison between a succubus and a celestial. The creature that resulted from this pairing was a being of pure chaos, and he had passed down some of his supernatural talents to Callie. In essence, Callie is a walking weirdness magnet. Strange and unlikely things happen more often with her around. Usually that means good luck for her, but for the people around her, the dice can roll either way. She also has a natural protection field called an entropic shield, the glowing pink ball of light that saved them last night. Using it burns off her chaos field for a while, though, and she has to get a good night's sleep between uses before it will recharge. No sooner have Will and Callie made up than there is a loud knock at Will's door. Apparently, Trajan has used a divination spell to track the stolen icon, and it led his thugs directly to Will's apartment. Will and Callie slip out the window, and just barely manage to get Callie's swoop out of the garage before Trajan's men appear. Callie has to use her entropic shield again to protect them, but in the ensuing chaos, she disables the thugs, and they get away clean. If they want to stop Trajan from finding them again, though, they're going to need to shield the icon from any more divination magic. Fortunately, Callie knows just where to go for help. The Muse A Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Part 4 Will stood on the sidewalk and gazed up dubiously at the front of the store. Are you sure about this guy, Callie? Totally, Callie said, without reservation. He's one of the best wizards in the city, and his prices aren't bad either. What's the matter, don't you trust me? No, it's not that, but... 
Will made a face. It just looks so... commercial. Callie grinned. Yeah, he has something for everybody. And this is one of his busiest days of the year. Will believed it. The magic shop didn't open until ten o'clock, but there was already a substantial line forming in front of the door. Signs in the windows announced special last-minute bargains on costumes, candy, props, decorations, and other essential Daedricama party supplies. A smaller, more elegantly lettered sign stated, Need last-minute reagents for your midnight rituals? Don't settle for mass-market bargain supplies. Ask about our premium collection. Why risk backfires? Callie walked up to the front door and knocked. Artax! she called. Hey, back of the line, lady, someone protested. Artax, Callie shouted, pounding on the door a bit harder. Come on, buddy, it's an emergency. All right, I'm coming, an irritated voice shouted back from inside. Just a minute. A moment later, an old man appeared at the door. He could have been sixty or twice that age. It was difficult to tell. His hair was thick, white, and bushy and his woolly beard hung down to the middle of his chest. He was dressed in a traditional wizard's robe, complete with the pointed hat that Will had always thought looked rather silly, but on closer inspection it appeared to be just a blue terrycloth bathrobe with white moons and stars printed on it. His feet peeked out beneath the hem of the robe, revealing that he was wearing fuzzy blue slippers. "'All right, come in, Callie,' the man grumbled, pushing the door open so they could enter. And for God's sake, don't touch anything. You know, Artax, Callie said, as they followed the wizard down aisles of knick-knacks to the back of the store, my aura doesn't actually get any stronger when I touch something than when I'm just standing next to it. I don't care what those so-called experts tell you, Artax said, not even looking back at her. The last time you were in here, every piece of merchandise you handled backfired within a week. Artex, you sell your merchandise to people who don't know a spell from a hole in the ground. How much stuff do you actually sell that doesn't backfire? It's not my responsibility to judge the competence of the buyer, Artex sniffed. If people refuse to follow simple directions, they deserve what's coming to them. Better that they have an accident with one of my products than blunder in the midst of a Daedra summoning. Funny you should mention that, Will said. Yes, yes, you need something to mask the aura of that little trinket you're carrying, Artax said, waving his hand dismissively. I am a wizard, you know. I have just the thing right here in the back. A long wooden counter covered with alchemical equipment lined the back of the shop, behind which was a doorway to a storeroom. Artax went through it and reappeared a moment later, carrying a jar of silvery powder. He gestured at the counter, and Callie placed the statue on it face up. You may want to stand back a bit, Artax said, removing the lid of the jar and setting it aside. Why, is that stuff dangerous? Will asked. Not really, but it will send your allergies into a screaming fit for a few days. How did you know I had allergies? Artax looked up at Will and shot him a baleful glare from beneath his bushy white eyebrows. He then glanced significantly to the left, then back at Will, then returned to his work. Will turned in the direction indicated and saw a large wooden sign with the words, Because I'm a wizard, that's how. Oh, right. Slowly, 
Carefully, Artax sprinkled the silver dust onto the statue. The tiny grains of powder stuck to the icon wherever they touched. The wizard completely coated one side, turned it over, and did the same on the other side. Standing the icon on its base, Artax took out a small wand and struck it lightly on St. Mariah's head. Esgalo, he commanded. The powder disappeared in a flash of light, leaving the statue unharmed. He handed the icon back to Callie. There you are. It should be safe from any form of magical detection for the next forty-eight hours, which is more than enough time to spoil Trajan's plans. Callie gave him a warm, genuine-looking smile. Thanks, Artax. How much do I owe you? It's for a good cause, so I'll let it go at cost. Ten marks, the wizard said, coming out from behind the counter and walking back toward the front of the shop. You can pay at the register. The cash register was at the front of the store to the right of the entrance, atop a typical glass display case with some very atypical-looking jewelry inside it. Another wooden sign on the wall behind the counter stated, Always follow the directions. Let the buyer beware. Callie handed the old man a ten-mark bill, and he quickly rang up the sale and handed her a receipt. Thanks again, old man, Callie said. Sorry to make you open up early like this. Oh, that's quite all right, Miss Kelly, he said, face wrinkling in a surprisingly good-natured smile. It seemed that the process of money-changing hands had brightened his mood. Always happy to help a repeat customer, particularly when it involves spoiling the day for an upstart punk like Trajan. As for you, Master Will, he said, turning to face him, I hope you'll come back sometime soon to try our goods and services for yourself. For now, here's my card and a bag of Daedra Kama candy, free of charge. He handed Will a business card and a small, sealed plastic bag of individually wrapped chocolates. I think you'll enjoy them greatly, he said, his sharp blue eyes twinkling. Oh, thank you, sir. Will put the chocolates in his jacket pocket and shook the old man's hand. Maybe I will be back. I'm sure you will, Artax agreed cheerfully. Ay, Callie muttered, rolling her eyes. Come on, Will, we'd better get out of his way. Outside, as they climbed back onto the swoop, Will looked down at the card Artax had given him. Well, I have to admit, he obviously knew what he was doing, he said. But what kind of name is Spells for You, anyway? It's so... lame? Lame is good. Don't ask me, Callie said shaking her head as they pulled away from the shop. I've never been able to figure out how his mind works. They spent much of the day on the move, staying as far from Trajan's territory as possible. Though the icon was now theoretically invisible to scrying, Callie didn't want to give the rogue wizard any chance to find them some other way. Thus, they kept to the north end of the city, stayed on the higher levels, and did some window shopping and sightseeing, until the day waned and the sun crept low in the sky. Callie kept the icon in one handgun with her at all times, in case any of Trajan's thugs should make an unwelcome appearance. Will doubted that Callie had a permit to carry such a weapon, but in her profession he suspected that wasn't much of a concern. Anyone with skill enough to be a runner must have had some experience with concealing weapons. As it began to grow dark, Callie took them down to street level again. We're going to have to find a place to spend the night, she said. It's not safe to spend Daedra Kama outside. Will shook his head. 
Is all that talk about wraiths and monsters stalking the streets tonight really true? I never saw any Daedra on Daedra Kama back in Haverfield. This isn't Haverfield, Will. Why do you think people started throwing parties on this night? Because it's a good excuse? Because they were afraid to sleep. This whole business with candy and costumes and parties is just whistling past the graveyard. It's something to occupy children's minds so they won't look out the windows. Don't worry, we'll find some place to hole up and then put a ward around it so the Daedra won't bother us. I have some holy water in my saddlebag. They didn't go back to Will's apartment or any of Callie's safe houses, for obvious reasons. Instead, after cruising around a bit, Callie decided on a rather small, rather dilapidated warehouse nestled in the shadow of one of the city's trademark skyscrapers. About half a dozen nearly identical warehouses surrounded it on either side. Unlike most of them, this particular one was unlocked. This is good, she said, pulling open the large, heavy door a little more than halfway and peering inside. The door swung open the rest of the way of its own volition and slammed hard against the wall of the warehouse, sending a rather unsettling vibration through the whole building. Go ahead and pull the swoop inside. I'll look for the light switch. Will eased the swoop forward and set it down next to a large stack of crates. He was just shutting down the engine when a dozen dim yellow light bulbs flared to life in the ceiling above them. The place looked even worse with the lights on. There were empty crates strewn haphazardly around the room, some of them visibly rotting, and even the crates that were still sealed looked like they'd suffered from years of abuse and neglect. A wooden balcony ran around the walls halfway up, providing space for more crates and barrels, but the wooden pilings it was resting on looked like they could give way at any moment. Do you think we could find a place that's not falling apart? Will asked. Most of the newer warehouses are guarded, Callie said, walking back toward the open door from the corner where she turned on the lights. Besides, it's not as bad as it looks. If you can't afford to pay for a night watchman, it's in your best interest to let it look like you have nothing worth taking. You'd be surprised at what gets stored in old buildings like this. Hand me that bottle of holy water, will ya? Whatever her tastes and accommodations, Callie knew how to place a ward, and within ten minutes they were safely sealed inside the building. With a long night ahead of them and little to do with it, they put the icon in one of the swoop's saddlebags and settled down to try to sleep. Sometime later, they were awakened by the sound of a mana bolt blasting the lock off of the warehouse door. Quick, behind the crates, Callie hissed. Will did as he was told. Callie joined him a moment later, armed with the handguns from Trajan's men. The door to the warehouse slammed open a second later, shaking the building again. Peeking over the tops of the crates, Will saw a tall man walk slowly into the room, followed by a dozen human and Luton henchmen. The thugs quickly shut the door behind them, probably to avoid being spotted by any casual observers passing by. Once the door was shut, they pulled out their guns, all of which looked fairly impressive. The man in the middle was dressed head to toe in black leather, boots, pants, and jacket, and carried a gnarled black staff in his left hand. His glossy black hair was swept back, his goatee was neatly trimmed, and his expression was hard and cruel. The only thing visible on him that wasn't black was the gold amulet he wore around his neck. Will didn't doubt for a second that this indeed was Trajan. 
Callie raised her gun and shot the bastard. Unfortunately, Trajan just seemed amused, as the bullet vanished in a shower of sparks bare centimeters from his body. Really now, Callie, he said, his voice smooth and casual, did you expect that to work? I knew you had my men's guns. Surely you expected that I would take certain precautions. Anything's worth a try, Callie said, keeping her head down. Just the same, why don't you set those guns on top of the crate where I can see them and come out here? We need to have a little talk. Behind the crates, Callie motioned to Will to stay out of sight. Then, obediently, she placed the guns on the crate and stepped out into the open, hands splayed outward. I'm impressed, Trajan, she said. I didn't think you'd be able to find me so soon. How'd you manage it? Trajan looked pleased to be asked the question. Really, Callie, you should study more magic, he said patronizingly. I may not be able to sense the icon, but I do know where you live. Given a few stray hairs or a personal item to use as a focus, it's a rather simple matter for a man of my talents to find anyone. Shit, Callie said. Indeed. Now then, where is the icon? Why should I tell you? Trajan sighed. Because if you don't, then I will kill you and search your belongings. And if it isn't there, I'll hunt down your little friend and see if he knows where it is. Then you'll be dead, and I shall be terribly inconvenienced, and neither of us will be happy. Will let out the breath he hadn't realized he'd been holding. Trajan didn't know he was there. Apparently, whatever divination spell he'd used to find Callie could only work on one person at a time. That might give them an advantage, if he could only think of some way to help Callie. The guns were still within easy reach, but they hadn't been very effective thus far, and weren't likely to work now. Callie was silent for a long moment. At last, she let out a defeated sigh. All right. If I tell you, do I have your word that you won't kill me or my friend? Trajan spread his hands out. Why would I? You're a good runner. I might have need of you in the future. All I want is my icon, so I can go home and finish my ritual. The last thing I need is to have the police investigating a couple of murders. His voice hardened. But don't think that means I won't do it if you force me. Don't worry, I won't, Callie said. She turned and began pacing in a large circle, between Trajan and his men, then over to the pillars under the balcony. Trajan's goons tracked her with their guns wherever she went. Here's the thing. You know that fancy nightclub on the north end of town? Station 53 or whatever it is? All right, Trajan said expectantly. Callie ran her hand idly along each of the pillars as she passed, continuing her slow circle around the warehouse. You know how they have those whirlpools in there, one on each corner of the dance floor? Well, each of those whirlpools is fed water from a central heating tank in the middle of the floor. The tank isn't accessible through the dance floor, but there's a hatch to a crawl space behind the stage that you can use to get in there and open up the tank. On the right-hand side of that crawl space, right by the hatch, there's a small cubbyhole where the maintenance guys keep the tools to work on the water tank. It's locked, but the key is in the janitor's closet. You'll find it in an old filing cabinet, taped to the inside of the second drawer from the top. By this time, Callie had walked halfway around the room and slowly circled back in front of the crates. And that's where you hid my icon? Callie grinned. 
Nah, it's in my saddlebag. Just a second. Trajan made an exasperated sound. You try my patience, girl. Give me the icon, now! All right, all right. Gods, Trajan, I was just messing with you a little. If you don't want to see me mess with that pretty head of yours, you won't waste any more of my time, Trajan snapped. No more time wasting, Callie said, digging out the icon and tossing it to him. Here you go. Have fun summoning your Baylor. When he rips you open to play with your intestines, don't say I didn't warn you. Trajan caught the icon easily with one hand and gave her a condescending look. Thank you for your concern, Callie, but I have the matter well in hand. Do enjoy your evening. The rogue wizard turned to go, joining his men beside the entrance. The one in front pushed open the door. It swung back and crashed into the side of the building, and a dozen decaying wooden pillars suddenly cracked and collapsed. All along the wall by the warehouse door, the balcony gave way and fell to pieces, raining heavy crates and barrels down on Trajan and his men. The mage may have planned for bullets in his protection spell, but heavy blunt objects apparently weren't included, as a large crate landed on his head and drove him to the floor. Several more containers of similar weight piled up on him and most of his men, leaving the rest to stare in horror at what had become of their master. Boss, one of them said, uncertainly. Trajan's body didn't move. Will snatched up the guns on top of the crate and came out into the open, training one of them on the survivors from Trajan's gang. Callie, catch, he said, tossing her one of the other two. Callie caught the pistol and pointed it at Trajan's men. They pointed their own guns back at her, unsure what to do. Go ahead, check him, Callie offered. Two of the gang members did so, pushing the crates and barrels aside so they could reach Trajan. Will could see the bloodstain on the floor that was already large and growing larger. One of the gangers checked Trajan's pulse, then looked up and shook his head. The other one who had helped him turned on Callie, pointing an accusing finger. He's dead, the Luton snarled. You killed that boss, you bitch! Cry me a river, Grainy, Callie snapped. Look, you've got nothing to gain by killing me. If you talk to your buddies who tried to whack us at the garage, you already know your bullets probably aren't going to work anyway. Furthermore, even if you did kill me, I should remind you that you are standing in a decaying building. If it did that while I'm just standing here, how do you think it's going to react to my death? The thugs looked worried. They obviously hadn't considered that. Come on, guys, Callie said, looking and sounding more conciliatory. I'm sorry about your boss, but we're all street rats here, right? Let's just forget this whole thing. It's not worth it. One of the thugs looked down at their dead leader. Yeah, you're right, he said at last. It's not worth it. Looking back up, he nodded at her. See you around, runner. Slowly, he backed away until he was outside the building, then sidestepped until he was out of sight. After a moment, the other survivors did likewise. Will and Callie lowered their guns. Will didn't know how to get the round out of the chamber, so he just put the safety on and handed it back to Callie. He shook his head. I can't believe they just let us go. Callie shrugged. That's politics on the street for you, she said, walking over to Trajan's body and retrieving the icon. 
next week, next month, next year, we could be working for the same people. It doesn't pay to hold grudges down here, especially over a dead gang leader. All of them end up dead sooner or later. Will nodded. I take it we don't tell the police about this? We were never here, Callie agreed. I'll leave the guns by the bodies and wipe the place for fingerprints before we leave. They could still use an augury to find out who was here, but they probably won't bother. Trajan was a thief and a murderer, and he got what he deserved. These men who worked for him were no better. MCPD has better things to do with its time than figure out what happened to these bastards. Come on, let's take this icon back to St. Marais. I thought you said it wasn't safe to be out on Daedrachema. It isn't, but it also isn't safe to stay on the scene of something like this. There's too great a chance that you'll leave evidence behind. Besides, our word was shot from the moment they opened the door. Let's just clean this place up and get the hell out of here, and hope our luck holds long enough to get us to the cathedral. Will smirked. For you, I don't think luck is going to be a problem. Much to their relief, Will and Callie reached St. Marais without further incident, though Will was at least half sure that he'd spotted a few strange-looking creatures lurking in alleys as they drove by. Not surprisingly, the priests were awake and allowing the cathedral to be used as a refuge for those with no other safe place to go. How come opening the doors doesn't wreck their ward? Will asked as they were let inside. It's not a ward, it's consecrated ground, Callie said. Deidre just can't come in here. The head priest of the cathedral, Father Jonathan, accepted the icon back gratefully, thanking Callie profusely for keeping it safe. After handing it over to one of the altar boys for cleaning, he took Callie into his office and handed her a check, which she folded in half and placed in her pocket without looking at it. She thanked him, bowed, and then came out to join Will in the hallway. I want you to have some of this, she said, patting the pocket where she'd placed the check. You're going to need to get that door fixed, and you deserve some compensation for the stuff I've put you through in the last 24 hours. Well, Will said, with a lopsided grin, I'll definitely take the money, but it was my pleasure. In spite of all the danger and all the craziness, it felt good. You know, to do something worthwhile, saving the city and all. Besides, he added, this little adventure has given me some great story ideas. Oh, yeah? Callie smiled. Will nodded. You know, it's funny. When you found me out on the street last night, I was looking for inspiration. Looking for my muse. He wrapped his arms around her and drew her close, then smiled again. I think I found her, he said. They kissed once, lightly, sweetly, and almost innocently and then drew apart and clasped each other's hands. So, J. William Karenson, Callie said, eyes sparkling, what do you want to do for the rest of the night? Will grinned. I heard one of our fraternities is throwing a major party tonight. The next day, Callie was awakened a little after noon by the sound of her telephone. After fumbling around for a few seconds, she found the receiver and placed it against her ear. Hello? Callie? Oh, thank Eli. Listen, I need your help. She frowned. Who is this? What? Oh, it's me, Will. Callie sat up and rubbed the sleep from her eyes. Will? 
Jeez, your voice sounds different. Are you sick? Not exactly, the voice replied. I got up a couple of hours ago to do some writing, and I ate some of those chocolates that Artax gave me. Oh, no, Callie groaned. What do you need? That depends. How long is this going to last? How many candies did you eat? Callie asked. There was a brief pause. Twelve, Will said. Callie went rigid. Gods, twelve? You ate twelve of them? Well, they were small, Will said, a little defensively. And they tasted so good, I kept eating them without hardly thinking about it. It's not like they kicked in right away, you know. Callie sighed. Well, I hope you really enjoyed them, Will, because you're going to be stuck like that for twelve days. There was a long pause. Will? Callie asked. Um, yeah, I'm still here. The voice sounded shaken. Okay, look, I'll come right over. What do you need? I would have thought that was obvious. Callie let out an exasperated sigh. Sighs, Will, what sighs? I don't know, I've never done this before. Will sounded as frustrated as Callie felt, and maybe a little hysterical as well. Callie gazed up at the ceiling. Well, do you think you can use mine? On the other end of the line, Will looked down at the large, shapely breasts now hanging on her very female body. I think I can wear some of them, she said, but the bra's going to be a problem. And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed this production of The Muse. If you'd like a copy in text, you can find it in the Urban Legends Story Collection, on sale now at Amazon. You can also hear some of Callie's earlier adventures in Making the Cut, which you can find in the past episode section at metamorecity.com. Callie and Will both have major roles to play in The Lost and the Least, so watch for that book in January 2018. Carlos Ruiz Zafon said, A story is a letter that the author writes to himself, to tell himself things that he would be unable to discover otherwise. This is true, and I think it makes authors the most obsessive and long-winded letter writers in history. So, let's see how my own letters to myself are coming along. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 5,477 words this week, over the course of seven hours, for an average writing speed of 782 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 89 days without breaking my chain. This week I took a break from Operation Ibex and started writing the first book in my Goetic Age trilogy, Breaking Hell. This book has two separate storylines one focusing on the three human families, which takes place in the near future, and one focusing on the angels and demons, which starts at the beginning of the universe and skips along through 13.7 billion years of history until it catches up with the human storyline at the beginning of Book 2. I'm doing an experiment this time and writing the entire angelic storyline for Book 1 before I start on the human storyline. Once they're both finished, I'll weave the chapters together. The angelic chapters are all pretty short in this book, at least so far. Most of them are only a few hundred to a thousand words. 
I've decided to share these chapters as I'm writing them. You can find them over on Facebook at the Fans of Metamore City group. Look for the hashtag GoeticAge. That's G-O-E-T-I-C-A-G-E. I'd love to hear what you guys think of them. We have two new patrons at the Patreon campaign this week. Please welcome Kara and Ernie. Becoming a patron is the single best way you can support this show. Your monthly contributions help me pay for web hosting, podcast distribution, bonus artwork, cover art, printing and shipping costs, all the stuff that helps me keep running this business instead of, say, taking more overtime at work. Between you and me, I'd much rather do the extra work for you guys. Kara sent me a question about becoming a patron, and I'm going to answer it here because I'm betting other people have wondered the same thing. If you've made a pledge to become a patron, you got a welcome email inviting you to download a free copy of the Things Unseen ebook from Smashwords. Unfortunately, since March, that discount code has not actually worked. I had to pull Things Unseen from publication on Smashwords to fulfill my obligations to Kindle Unlimited. However, just because the book isn't for sale on Smashwords anymore doesn't mean I can't give away free copies to my new patrons. If you're a patron of my campaign and you were unable to get your free copy of Things Unseen, please email me at metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. Be sure to tell me the name that you used for your Patreon pledge, and whether you'd like a copy in EPUB or MOBI format. I'll be happy to get you squared away. And if you haven't made a pledge yet, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and make a pledge to help me keep this show running. Even just $3 a month makes a huge difference. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more writing goodness. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2003 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.